Um, I found this article in a science journal online. The author's uh, personal experience um, felt similar to my own in some ways. Um, Here's what she had to say. It had been seven weeks since I touched another human being. Arms outstretched, I walked quickly toward my dad, craving his embrace. In the instant before we touched, we paused, our minds probably running quick, last-minute calculations on, on the risk of physical contact. But after turning our faces away from each other and awkwardly shuffling closer, we finally connected. Wrapped in my dad's bear hug, I momentarily forgot we were in the midst of the worst global crisis I have ever experienced. Like more than 35 million other Americans, I live alone. And with the guidelines of the physical distancing set by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I hadn't been getting close to anyone to avoid being infected with COVID-19 or spreading COVID-19. I'd been working, thankfully, at home and staying connected with friends and family through Zoom and Skype, but those virtual interactions were no replacement for being with loved ones in person. Steve Cole, a psychiatrist and biobehavioral scientist at the University of California, Los Angeles, said, touch is the most powerful safety signal of togetherness. When we get lonely and isolated, our brainstem recognizes that suddenly we're in insecure territory and flips on a bunch of fight or flight responses without us even knowing it. There are all sorts of things in our social world that lead us to calculate that we are either safe or unsafe. You can think of physical touch, supportive and affectionate touch as the most fundamental signal that you're with somebody who cares about you, a fundamental signal of safety and well-being. The feeling of security that comes with holding hands or hugging is a result of cascade as a result of a cascade of physical and biochemical changes in the body and the brain that can counter the fight or flight response. In a sense that we can never switch off. It seems to ground us in reality. We can use touch to connect with other humans in a myriad of ways. We can be reassuring or draw someone's attention to something or surprise them or express affection, friendliness, or love. The three parables that we read this morning share a common structure. First of all, something or someone considered valuable is characterized as out of place or lost. Secondly, it's found, brought, uh, or returned home. And finally, the owner, friends, family, neighbors celebrate that what was lost is found. A relationship is restored. And each item, each person, each animal is touched, is embraced. Note that the shepherd is counting the sheep and finds one missing. Sheep are not very bright animals, and on their own, they're lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one that's lost. The shepherd kneels down and and scratches the sheep's head and then picks it up and, and lifts it on his shoulders, like a parent does with a small child when they're tired of walking. The shepherd would have felt the scruff of the sheep's wool on his neck and his arms as he carried it back. 
the sheep would have felt safe up there, safe from danger and safe from the realities of having to walk back on his own. And he gets home and the shepherd throws a party. He calls wildly to all his family and friends to say, I have found my sheep. It was lost, but now it's found. And they party together. Remember, remember Hardy's. <laughs> Next, Jesus compares God to a woman, a hardworking, lower class woman who's searching for a coin. And we know that she is lower class and, and works by the coin that she's looking for. The coin would have amounted to about a day's wage. Hard-earned money that would have made a difference to her family if she lost it. She is searching everywhere for it. Think of the last little thing you lost. Maybe your phone or a remote or keys or, or your ID or something like that. Think about all the places that you look. Maybe, maybe you dug through the gross corners of your car looking for it. Emptied out all of the bags that it could be in. Looked in drawers and the closets. Asked other people if they'd seen it. She's been searching every gross corner of her house, every crack and crevice, every place that she had been, all looking for this coin, and she finds it. I think about rubbing a coin together between my fingers. She's looking for something tangible, something that can be held between her fingers, something she can touch. She can feel the raised edges that show the signs of the government that, that has issued it to her, that shows its value. And she celebrates and she finds it, holds it up for everyone to see, shows it around while, while she holds it. Probably doesn't pass it around lest it be lost again, but there is celebration when it's found. Finally, we have the story of a father with two sons. The younger son, who wasn't really entitled to anything, says he wants his inheritance he can do this living thing better than the family can, and so he wants to go his own way. Quickly, though, he runs through the money and finds himself hungry. He is feeding pigs. Maybe he can feel their gross feed in his hands, and it says, the scripture says that that began to look, he was so hungry, that gross feed began to look good to him. He can feel the muck as he steps in with his feet. We know that he can definitely smell it. And he realizes that he'll just go home and, and throw himself at the mercy of his father to become one of his servants. But his father has been watching for him, hoping he would return home. And when he sees him, he takes off running towards him. He grabs him in one of those big hugs, a sign of affection that wasn't common in that day. He holds him close in a hug that we have avoided for many people <laughs> in the last year. He calls for a robe to be brought and put around him, for someone to touch his hands, maybe even his father, to, to put a ring, to put the family ring on him. Someone is soon touching his feet to put sandals on him. His dirty, calloused feet are being held by someone putting those shoes on him. And then they party. The images here are clear that there is an intimacy in the way that God thinks of us and relates to us. An intimacy of a God that does not stay off in the distance, but pursues, searches, and then reaches out to pull back into a hug or a touch. It means something that 
Jesus compares God to one who reaches out and touches. We even see in Jesus, um, his reaching out and touching a lot of people that, that no one else would have touched. It's all throughout the Gospels as he reaches out to touch those who are ailing, sick, those who would have been considered unclean. Jesus could have just said the words, and he does sometimes. Sometimes he's not even present, as we talked about in a miracle about a month ago. But it, it seems to be that he knows when he needs to touch, when the person needing help, needing to be healed, needs that when others need to see them being touched. Jesus is telling these parables because of the Pharisees and their scribes who are listening to this because they have criticized him for the time he spends with those they would consider sinners. It's up close and personal kind of time, bumping elbows at a table, sharing food that that all would reach in and eat with fingers, hugs or handshakes of greeting at the door, Jesus is intimate. If there was ever a season where we knew the power of touch, it is right now. We see videos of people who have created huge plastic bubbles in order to be able to hug and touch grandparents. When we know what it's like not to just reach out with our normal handshakes or hugs, but instead to awkwardly wave or or bump elbows. When we know what it's like when we want to reach out and hug someone, sit close to them, but but we have to stay six feet away. When we watch videos of grandparents finally able to hold and cradle a grandchild after waiting months. I saw a video yesterday that a dear friend of mine posted of her kids being able to see their grandmother for the first time in a year. They got to celebrate Christmas this weekend with her because she was finally vaccinated. And that that first moment where they see her outside the door and, and fling the door open and just reach out and grab her and hug her. We know right now how valuable touch is. My campus minister, when I was in college, way back, uh, used to make us get in a huge circle at the end of our weekly meeting to do a prayer. And, and we did this thing where we'd cross each other so you were reaching out and touching not just the person next to you, but you were holding hands with the person that was two people away. So you were holding, you were touching four people at any given time. She would always yell as we were breaking hands apart after the closing prayers, get your seven hugs. She had read somewhere that each person needs at least seven hugs a day to be healthy. Geneva was single, lived away from family, and she knew the power of touch. Um, Geneva is not a warm and fuzzy person. She is a no-nonsense kind of person who plows ahead at everything she does. She knows she shows her love for you by advocating for you, by showing up for you. So this intimate touch thing felt a little out of place, but she knew what she was talking about. She knew what we needed. Family therapist Virginia Satir once said, we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. Now, I don't know the science behind that, but, and that may sound like a whole lot of hugs. It seems that many hugs, though, are better than not enough. This is the beauty in these parables. They reveal a God that's not some distant, far-off God, but one that's close and present. 
Not one watching, waiting to thump you on the head, sitting coldly by, but one that reaches out and hugs, touches, searches, and finds. God in the flesh of Jesus showed us one who reaches out and touches those that no one else will. A God who cares. I was in the third grade when I had my first experience of really feeling the presence of God surround me to hug me. (laughs) I won't go into all of the detail, but I had been led to believe that I'd really disappointed one of my parents. And and I rode around the neighborhood uh, trying to find that parent who was on a solo bike ride. And I was by myself and suddenly I was crying too hard and I crashed my bike. And so now I'm walking around the neighborhood. um, And here I was, this third grade little girl walking around her neighborhood with her bike crying and and I remember praying to God asking to feel that God was with me asking to feel God hug me and I remember just knowing in that moment that God was with me holding me in a way that I really can't even explain this morning and now as an adult I think How incredible is it that God, in some miraculous way, allowed me to feel overwhelmed with God's presence as a third grader, walking around upset about something that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but was everything to her at that moment. Wars going on, people starving, people getting into trouble, but in that moment, I also mattered to God. When you feel alone, when you feel overwhelmed with our current realities, when you feel overwhelmed with the future, with difficult decisions, with your failures, and with your successes, remember that we have a God that cares intimately about the things that matter to us, that wants us to feel God's presence, wants us to feel wrapped up in it. May you feel the touch of God when you need it most. Will you pray with me?